This is the Ivy League Hoops Hour, where we cover all things men's basketball in the ancient eight. We are your hub, your go-to, your day one. But not really, though. I'm your co-host, Coach Sidney Johnson, former head coach of the Princeton Tigers from 2007 to 2011, and former three-time captain of the Tigers in 95, 96, and 97. My co-host is Princeton alumnus and former Princeton graduate assistant coach Lawrence L. Boogie Schuler. Coach, great to be with you. Yeah, man, this is great. I know this has been a few years in the making in terms of our conversations with each other. And why don't we just kind of talk through, you know, our, our what, our why. We know uh, that our what is, you know, the Ivy League hoops hours. You know, you and I are always talking about the games, um, not just Princeton. I mean, just, you know, Yale, Harvard, what they've done. Uh, we've got our guy Brian Earl over at Cornell. And uh, just the, the big wins and the trends that are going on. It's always been a topic of conversation between me and you. And so, you know, why not share it uh, with our listeners and, and keep our conversation going uh, regularly? Um, you know, one of the things in terms of why, you know, for me personally, you know, I'm, I'm not a podcaster, as you know, and uh, I'm a coach, you know, all day, every day. Um, very engaged in uh, FIBA three-on-three and youth player development at this point in my career. I was at Air Force as associate head coach last year, and you did a great job of, of keeping in touch with me, not only there, but while I was at Fairfield, um, and obviously us working together at Princeton, um, and then mixing in some broadcasting as well, which um, I thought I did a, a good job with a, a couple of years ago, but um, it's all through a lens of coaching, and so not having my own team, um, you know, I'm just always watching games, you know, uh, pro, uh, overseas, um, high school, and obviously Ivy League, mid-major, high-major, the whole thing, and seeing trends and styles of play, uh, and I need an outlet, you know, and you, you've been someone that I've trusted uh, for for years, and obviously we work together, you know, at Princeton, so um, I don't know how long you know, um, we'll be doing the Ivy League Hoops Hour, but I know for this season we're going to have a heck of a long ride, and I know that we have insights, especially on Ancient 8 basketball, um, to v- provide people. Um, I think we're, we're insiders uh, at the least, and so I'd say uh, buckle up. Um, but, um, you know, we haven't, you know, always necessarily uh, articulated it this way, and so you know, Lawrence, what, what kind of brings you um, to the table at this stage? Well, you know, I've, I've shared my opinions over the years. Uh, I say some, uh, some more grounded, some more ridiculous <laughs> over the years. <laughs> no, no doubt on the latter. No doubt. <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, why, why do it now? I guess it's, it's been a long time coming. You know, being away from uh, Ivy League basketball for the last few years, um, probably a little more... Uh, I guess sanguine or uh, level-headed about uh, <laughs> about my positions on right. what's what and the way things should go. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, like everything else, uh, you know, the college game is is changing rapidly. And being an institutionalist, someone who loves to look at institutions and norms and conventions, I think it's uh, it's worth talking about the direction things are going. Well. People are going to get a real good glimpse of that because you ain't lying. I mean, sometimes the stuff you throw at me, I, I still have these like research papers you give me with all the numbers <laughs> and boogie at some point. I, you know, I, I got to bow out if it's not a offensive rebounding percentage and turnover rate and all that. Uh, I, I struggle to keep pace. But um, now it, it, it's been I've, I've learned from you with that aspect, with that lens that you have. Um, I, I know that uh, you appreciate what I do. And I, I feel like um, these conversations are worth sharing with others, but, but first and foremost, just continuing amongst ourselves. And, um, you know, so let's have at it. I think we're going to try to do this um, almost weekly. I, I would say weekly, but, you know, there might be a time where there's natural breaks in the Ivy league season um, at, at, at the same time, we may fill those breaks with um, double hosts or, or I should say double guests 
And um, so we're going to try to stick to a, a weekly or almost weekly schedule. And we're going to try to make uh, the, the pods available to people in all the different ways that they, they get their podcasts. And we're also highly encouraging. We have a an email address set up, Ivy League Hoops Hour at Gmail. And we would love to get, you know, questions from from you all listeners, uh, questions on the on the league, um, topics to cover, um, comments, you know, um, and I'll just put in uh, this disclaimer that, you know, don't send anything in anonymous. We want your name on it and we want to hear from you and we want to know and and kind of establish our our listening base and and take credit for what you're you're sending in and uh, just you know, avoid anything sexist, racist, homophobic, transphobic, the like. We're just uh, we're trying to th- keep things positive and focused on uh, men's basketball in the ancient eight. And I'll also say this. There are over 35 uh, Division One programs at each and every single uh, Ivy League institution, uh, men's and women's sports. And so we're going to uh, highlight um, different programs that are doing great things big time successes. This is probably a good time to mention Sean Driscoll, head coach of the Princeton women's soccer team. That's my guy. And the Princeton women's team finished second in the league to a fantastic Brown team uh, coached by Kia McNeil. Uh, She led the uh, Brown bears to an undefeated Ivy league championship. So Brown made the NCAA tournament. Sean Driscoll's Princeton women's team made the NCAA tournament and Harvard women made the tournament as well. Princeton won their first round game. Um, Brown and uh, Harvard uh, came up a little bit short, so their seasons are done. Very good seasons. And Sean is playing on Friday. Uh, and I should say Princeton women are playing on Friday, but but Sean is my guy. Um, they are playing Princeton. Uh, they're playing TCU in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And for those who are uninitiated, uh, there's a whole lot of teams playing women's soccer. I mean, it's, it's as many as men's and women's basketball. There's over 300 Division One programs. So to be a top 25 team like Princeton has done, like Brown has done this year, and Harvard, it's pretty impressive. And so we're going to shout out um, different programs um, throughout, the, throughout the year who are doing some special things. And uh, there's our, our nod to uh, the Princeton women's soccer team. All right, Lawrence, let's jump into our picks for games, teams, players of the week. Uh, we're going to try to post our podcast on Fridays. We don't hold us to that, but that, that is the target. And we hope that you subscribe, give us a great rating. And again, definitely give us your feedback uh, as we move throughout the year. But this segment um, is called My Eyes Don't Lie to Me. And that's a, a homage or a, a heads up to a guy that I – Really enjoy listening to Roy Keane was a former midfielder for Manchester United, my favorite uh, football team. Um, I was going to say soccer, but uh, I don't want to get voted off the island. Uh, But um, he uh, played for Manchester United and Ireland, and he's a a great uh, uh, commentator on on sports and football um, to this day or, or in this present day. I listen to him a lot and I learn a lot about. Uh, the game. And so I really enjoy listening to him, but he often says, my eyes don't lie to me. He's not a big one to make kind of um, forecasts and predictions. He, he speaks more on, you know, what he's seen in the games and he lets that kind of inform uh, uh, his opinion. And I, I like that approach. I'm not taking a shot at any of the, you know, the polls and all that preseason stuff, but you know, everybody knows if you're picked first to win your league, then you feel good about it. Um, if you're, pick second all the way to the to the bottom you you really don't put much stock into it and it's uh, really the games that matter so boogie as we're looking at this week past you know I I would say for me let's start with the game of the week my game of the week would be Princeton versus Minnesota um, in the Asheville championship game that was a tremendous showcase for the Tigers and for the Ivy League in general, uh, Princeton was able to knock off South Carolina in the semifinals in the first round. A very good win there. And then um, had such a battle 
with the Minnesota golfers, Gophers, I should say, sorry about that. Um, I think a double overtime win for the Tigers, or excuse me, loss for the Tigers, but an outstanding game. Um, they continue to fight and claw their way, make just enough shots and get just enough shot or stops, I should say, to get into uh, the first overtime. Um, and then the second overtime, they came up short, but it was an outstanding game. Uh, Jalen Llewellyn played really well, um, just really couldn't get couldn't be stopped. You know, it was just getting guys off the dribble, uh, making enough threes. The kid who stuck out to me, Lawrence, definitely want to get your feedback on this kid and then um, what your game of the week was. But the big kid, Mason Hooks for Princeton, he's a freshman. He's from Harvard Westlake out in California, a storied program, high academic a place that sends a ton of kids to the Ivy league and other places. But this kid is an absolute stud. He is a load on the block. Um, I mean, guys in the big 10 Minnesota had their hands full trying to deal with this kid. And I firmly believe that Princeton will win an Ivy league championship and get to the NCAA tournament with this kid in uniform. He's only a freshman. So, you know, maybe it happens this year. Princeton's looking really good. But they are going to the NCAA tournament with this kid, Mason Hooks. Uh, he's hard to guard on the block, does enough on the perimeter. He is huge, uh, can provide rim protection, uh, switch on guards on the perimeter. Uh, he's going to bring a lot to the Tigers. They're going to have fun watching him. Well, it sounds like, if nothing else, you've lost your uh, your Princeton paranoia about putting the whammy on us. Um, <laughs> No pressure, Mitch. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. My game of the week was uh, Cornell Binghamton. Uh, you know, I'm watching uh, Brian Earl's Big Red, you know, playing well. And then I'd say five minutes later, it looks like there's five new guys in there. Um, and they're playing next man up, putting the pressure on, full court press, and taking the ball to the rim. And um, that was a, a solid team win for those guys. So well done them. I would say um, I'm, I'm just really impressed with how, how fast um, Cornell is, is playing. I mean, Brian uh, is proven to be an excellent coach. Uh, he's always doing, you know, more with less. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, his guys that he's bringing in are diamonds in the rough, okay? They're not highly touted in terms of the freshmen here. They are very good programs and winning programs. And, and Brian knows the game. I mean, he's, he's an excellent player himself. So he knows when kids can play, brings them in, gets them better. And now they're playing at this uh, electric pace. They're, they're flying the ball up and down. It's still rooted in Princeton offense, um, uh, core values and principles, uh, but they're picking up full court as well and turning you over. Um, so the, the pace at which the Big Red are playing is something that people are really going to have fun watching and they're 3-0 and right now, so they, they couldn't be doing much better than that. And it's going to be fun to see how he stays with that style of play and, and how it's uh, greeted once we get into conference play. In terms of teams of the week, we are thrilled this week uh, that we will have David McLaughlin, the head coach of the Dartmouth Big Green, um, on our show as a guest because his team went into Georgetown, Washington, D.C., storied program, uh, coached by Patrick Ewing, one of the greatest college basketball players in the history of the game, absolutely dominant, Hall of Famer. It's not like he didn't have a good NBA career all right, for the Knicks. And he is now coaching the Georgetown Hoyers. They won the uh, Big East Championship last year, but the Dartmouth Big Green go in there and knock off the Hoyers, completely dominated the game respectfully to Georgetown. That's where I worked. I love that program. John Thompson III, um, a great friend of mine. And uh, we had some good years there, Final Four, the whole thing in 2007. And, uh, you, know, they, they, you know, I root for them, you know, on the side. But uh, Dartmouth goes in there, and they dominated. They were never sped up. Uh, they got all the shots that they wanted. Uh, they rebound just well enough, and they pulled out the win. So for Dartmouth to go ahead and, and do that early in the season uh, was really impressive, and I would choose them as our uh, team of the week. Player of the week this week is Chris Ledlam uh, from the Harvard 
Crimson. Now I know there's a lot of games and there's a lot of good stuff going on and um, we're not necessarily looking to be contrary to, you know, what the, the Ivy league conference necessarily picks or what other people pick. But just like I said, my eyes don't lie to me. they are games that I'm watching and I'm seeing. And Chris Ledlam's a kid who just jumps out at you, you know, he's, and quite literally six, four, um, you know, maybe very wildly athletic. He'll put it on your head in a heartbeat. Um, and, uh, he also can make enough threes just in terms of keeping you, um, you know, I guess balanced or, or, um, honest, I think is the best way to put it, Lawrence. Um, but he is looking, he wills his way to the basket over and over. And again, powerful finishes. He's really, really aggressive with the ball in his hands. So they beat, uh, they blew out Morehouse, um, which is a nice game for, for Tommy Amaker to schedule and, and, and play. And then they go to Iona, which is a, a perennial power in the Metro Athletic uh, Conference. Um, and uh, coach, obviously, we know by uh, Rick Patino, Hall of Famer. Um, he's just going to keep building uh, what was tremendously done by Tim Kloos in years past with, with the Gales. And so um, they lose an overtime game, um, a close one. Uh, but Ledlam was uh, uh, electric uh, again, and then they uh, they beat an Albany team uh, just just the other night. So Harvard is is playing well and still looking to get uh, healthy. And Chris Ledlam is uh, among the tops in scoring and rebounding, and has had a a really good start to his season so far. So I, I wanted to pick him as our player of the week, um, and uh, you know we'll take it from there. We're we're excited to see games teams players and and we're pouring over them whether it's uh live on the different forms espn fox what have you uh synergy and uh we're covering and touching every team uh for our listeners to know and so again if you've got some thoughts send them in uh, but we're going with princeton minnesota game of the week dartmouth team of the week and chris ledlam from harvard player of the week We're here with David McLaughlin, head coach of the Dartmouth Big Green, coming off a huge week, which we'll touch upon in short order. Uh, but this is the Ivy League Hoops Hours inaugural guest spot, and we're thrilled to have David McLaughlin with us as his team is the team of the week. And uh, we're excited to have Coach here. Coach, how you doing? I'm great. I really appreciate you guys having me on. I'm looking forward to having a conversation. Yeah, this should be good. Um, we are expecting to have these types of conversations with coaches and student athletes throughout the season. There's a lot of stuff going on in the ancient eight and uh, you're starting us off. Um, I've got my co-host here, Lawrence Schuler, and uh, Lawrence, why don't you jump in? Uh, Coach, thanks for joining us. Uh, to start, can you tell us a little more about uh, yourself, your background? Uh, tell us what it was like being a student athlete at Colby and playing for Coach Whitmore? Yeah, I'd love to. And I'm glad you started with, with Coach Witts. He's a huge influence on, on my, my basketball career. Um, so played at Colby, uh, Division three school in Maine, the NESCAC, also known as the Small Ivy. And, you know, besides my dad, Coach Whitmore was the second biggest male influence in my life. And um, the impact he had on me, the impact he had on our teammates, um, and the, the program that he built up there uh, just really influenced had a lot of influence on me and, and, and really made me want to go into coaching. Um, so he's still a mentor to me to this day. Uh, probably talk to him, you know, once a week, if not more. Uh, first guy that texts me after wins or losses, not afraid to tell you what you, what you do poorly too. Right. Um, and, you know, after, after Colby, um, I was, I worked at uh, Wesleyan university for a couple of years and then uh, became an assistant at Stonehill and was actually named um, head coach midway through the year. Um, was, was interim coach, uh, named interim coach on January 2nd. Um, so it was a very unique wow. thing. And a lot, of, a lot of things I tell younger coaches is you have to be ready to be a head coach tomorrow because you don't know if you're going to be or not. Um, and that was me. I was an assistant coach uh, at, you know, 11 p.m. And I was a head coach at 8 a.m. Um, so it's, it was, you know, you got to make sure you're prepared for that. And coach, what, at what it. age, yep. at what age did that, that, that occur? I was 27. Wow. Wow. So, was, so pretty yeah. close in age with the guys you're, you're coaching, obviously. Absolutely. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. They, 
they said to me that they weren't going to, um, they were going to open the job up. It was going to be a national search. I probably wouldn't get it. And, um, but they wanted me to coach for the rest of the year. And then at the end of the season, they didn't open it up for a search and they offered me the job, which was, uh, which was great. And I was there for nine years as head coach. Um, after that, I left to work with Bill Cohen, who's one of my biggest mentors at Northeastern. Right. Loved my three years there. Uh, just a phenomenal person and, and met Peter Roby there as well, who was the athletic director there, um, who's a Dartmouth grad, was captain here of, of the men's team. Um, and now Peter is the athletic director here at Dartmouth. So it's it's great to to be here with him and and in a place that, that I just love right now. And I, I love being up here. I love this area. I love this league. And it's just incredibly competitive and fun to to work in this league. Coach, how has it been? Um and I've been in that situation and other coaches across uh, the country where your boss, whether it's high school, college, you, you know, even the NBA, you know, that your boss has that wide a breadth of uh, coaching experience and familiarity with the sport. What is that relationship with you and, and Roby at this point? In yeah, that dynamic. A great, yeah. it's a great question. Um, it's, it's incredibly healthy and, you know, some things you don't have to talk about because you just know. And right or some things that um, are brought up that maybe normally wouldn't be brought up with an administrator because he knows, he knows what you're going through. Um, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that his door is always open. Um, and he knows, he knows that if I need something, I'll, I'll come to him and I know that he'll be there. So it's, it's a very healthy relationship. And to have someone who you consider a mentor, um, you know, be the athletic director is, is a really special thing. Tremendous. So now we're in year six. Um, and I know we're, we're fast forward and are bringing ourselves up to date, but we have to spotlight. We can't get too far into this interview without that Georgetown win, you know, 69, 60, uh, you go into Washington, DC, you know, Georgetown is a storied program. It's a program I looked up to as a kid and, uh, whether it was Patrick Ewing or Reggie Williams or, or Mark Jackson, those guys were getting it done. And John Thompson, Jr., is a coaching hero of mine, his son I worked for. And then you have Patrick Ewing now as a head coach. And then they win the Big East Championship last year. You guys go in there and get it done. You're up by 18-19 in the first half. Ryan Cornish is cooking. You got guys making shots left and right. Barry Samuels. I mean, what what is that? How did that feel? You know, just talk us through that experience. Yeah, so I think the experience goes back to post-game Boston College, you know, so we hadn't played in 20 months, and I think I underestimated what it was going to be like for the guys, um, and we just didn't have a real identity against BC on Tuesday, and a lot of credit to BC, they, they, they played us well, and practice talk on Thursday and Friday to the guys were, hey, how do we want to be defined? If someone's looking at Dartmouth basketball, what do they want to say about us? If we want to describe ourselves to someone, whether it's the media or a recruit or another teammate or someone on campus, how are we going to describe what Dartmouth basketball is? And we need to take that next step and, and defining that. And this is a great opportunity to do that. And I thought the guys really grasped that and, and were able to take that into the into the game. Um, and we were very detail oriented. Uh, we were incredibly disciplined at both ends of the floor. And I thought our decision-making was at a high level, again, at both ends of the floor. And that's how we want to be defined, that sort of execution team. Um, so I was thrilled that they carried that into the game. Um, beyond that, you know, making shots helps, right? We made some early threes, and that just really loosens you up. We are a good shooting team. And I think when you make some early shots, it just allows you just to feel loose in a game. And I think it's really important for the guys, especially when there's 10,000 people in an arena. Right. Um, and I thought we got some early stops uh, and I thought we rebounded the ball. Well, that's the one thing we talked about is like, if we can rebound, I think we can get out on these guys a little bit, even though they're a, a bigger and more athletic team, we weren't afraid to run on them. Um, and I thought we rebounded the ball well early and, and it just really helped us to get stops. Um, when we talk about getting bricks, three consecutive stops and we had uh, six bricks in the first half. Yeah, that, um, so that, that really allowed us to get out and run and, and you know, really, really um, have some good offensive possessions. Coach to coach, um, there's always a point where you're prepping for a team. You're watching film. You're going through scout and practice. Maybe it's a shoot around. 
or there's a moment coach in the game where you're like, we can beat these dudes. Like, like, like we can handle this. When was that point for you? Maybe it was at the final buzzer when you're shaking big Pat Ewing's hands, but uh, I'd love to know at what point for you personally, did you know you guys could beat the Georgetown Hoyas in Washington, DC on the road? You know, I'd say probably after the first five possessions, you felt as soon as you see the translation of what you're working on in practice, both offensively and defensively, and said, you've been there, uh, you know, many times over, you know, okay, they get, these guys got this. This is yeah. exactly what we talked about. This is what we said we wanted to do defensively, offensively. Um, you know, I think when, when you see those first five possessions, you're like, okay, this is how we want to defend them. So I want to rebound. Um, this is how we want to, you know, really play discipline on the offensive end. And and you had that flow. Um, and once that flow comes, you don't think about that the rest of the game. Are we going to win or lose? You mm-hmm. kind of just, you're just coaching the coaching the group. And it wasn't a strain to say, okay, how are we going to figure this out? What's going to happen here? We had that uh, rolling pretty early. So it, 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 I think in the first five, you're like, okay, we're good. And then the first media, when you finally get the guys together, there wasn't any rush in the timeout. It's like, Hey, this is everything we talked about. We're in good shape. Just keep doing what you're doing. And most of the timeouts were that just keep doing what you're doing. It's so funny. I can, I can literally feel what you're saying because I've, I've, like you said, I've been in there in those moments, but also in watching the game, I felt that's how you guys looked. I'm so excited for Ivy league basketball this year because the strength of the league is so impressive and, and, and you guys were a showcase. They never sped you up. You guys looked so comfortable. I think you dictated the way the game was played in both halves. Um, And so I saw, my eyes don't lie to me, I saw what you're talking about, Coach. It was just, you look like a comfortable, polished, um, you know, well-coached team, and, and you certainly deserved the win. Again, you building this program, you know, and you see all these celebrations with the kids after games where, you know, the water bottles and they're dousing the coach. And I'm sure the, the, the trip back to Dartmouth or New Hampshire was was terrific and everybody was riding the high. But for you, coach, what does this mean? I mean, this is a signature win for your career, for you personally, what you're building. I mean, can you share with us the significance it means to you, your family, your staff, people who really care about you? Because this is a big time win. No, I'll, I'll answer that with, with two, two quick answers. But the first, in, in terms of I was really pleased for our staff, they've been working really hard. And as you all know, you look at some of these, you know, major programs in Division One, and they have huge staffs, right? And then in the Ivy League, we just don't, you know, we have our coaches, we have our ops, and, and we're doing all of it, the film, the breakdown, the instruction, the recruiting. Um, and I think that's why coaches that move on, especially assistant coaches or associate head coaches from the Navy League, they're, they're ready, whatever that next job is, because they've worn a lot of hats. Um, so I was really happy for our staff and, and sure. really happy for our players um, because they've been working very hard um, for, uh, for a while now and having not played for a while. Right. Um, and, and I was happy for our alumni base because, you know, we, we did have a lot of alum and family there and to play well in front of that environment is, is great. And then I think to represent the league, it's such a special league. Um, it's so unique in so many ways. So to represent the league uh, that way was, was awesome. Um, and I think the second way I'd like to answer it is Monday morning, um, getting ready for work. We're getting the kids ready for school and, I must have had this look on my face, like I'm just focusing on something else. I'm not present. And my wife said to me, you can't even enjoy that win for more than a day, can you? <laughs> and I said, no, I was already moved on to practice, to recruiting, to whatever the next thing was. So it's funny. And I'm sure you've been there. Like you, you carry the losses longer than you should. And the good wins, you just move on probably quicker than you should. Right, right. Well, you're keeping them in the zone. Exactly. To, to that end, Coach, what would you say um, is the challenge in terms of playing on the road, Big East environment, um, or anywhere, you know, whether it's Big East, CAA, whatever, just outside of the league, going on the road and, and, and playing versus the challenge that it presents to you uh, in, in the league where people know you just a little bit more, obviously, 
Um, they know your team, your players. Just can you weigh those challenges and, and kind of let people in in terms of um, how you view it? You know, what, what challenge it presents or the, or the differences and similarities in terms of going on the road out of conference and in conference? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is routine, right? So you want to have a routine when you travel. So um, this is how we're going to do, whether it's walkthroughs or this is what we're going to be doing for film or this is how we're doing pregame meals. I think when you can get guys in a routine and it becomes normal, then, then being on the road becomes normal, if that makes sense. Um, so I think the routine is a, is a big factor. Um, playing non-league versus league opponents or playing earlier in the season versus late in the season, you know, there's not a, a ton of data early in the season for road games. So you, you're playing teams and you might not know a lot of things that are coming. Um, so, you know, in the first three to four to five weeks of the year, teams are going to be different, different drastically uh, week to week, uh, whether it's rotations or actions they have in or um, non-league, maybe different defenses that you might see. Um, so it, it, it varies drastically. Um, when you get into league, you're right. It's the, the, the depth of detail, especially on personnel, um, the depth of detail on how you're going to attack someone both offensively and defensively um, goes to a higher level because you do have more data at that point. Everyone's got 13, 14 games under their belt. Um, and you have experience playing and coaching um, uh, against other programs. So the one unique thing this year is on the road, there's not all Friday, Saturday games. Right. So the league schedules change to 10 weeks. So now you have three Friday, Saturdays, you have two single days, which would be either January 1st or January 2nd. Um, and then Martin Luther King day. And if I'm doing my math, right. I think that means there's six single Saturdays. So that's right. Yep. So you might have an entire, instead of, okay, we're prepping for a Friday, Saturday opponent, which we have to do three times. Now you're going to have multiple weeks where you have a, a week to prepare for one opponent. Um, and I'm not quite sure, you know, we haven't been there, done that yet. So I, I think that's going to take that even to another level, that, that attention to detail. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm torn because the Friday, Saturday is so traditional. And so it, it, it means a lot to me, you know, having done it as a student athlete and as a, as a coach, you know, and just that grind, you know, I really thought that separated the men from the boys. Uh, but there's also something exciting about that, you know, um, one game a week is essentially how I look at it, you know, and just, you know, Saturday to Saturday, there's some, you know, I think individual development that can be enhanced player development that I think sometimes gets lost during the season. So have you guys started as a staff to think about that? And then just basically, where do you come out on that in terms of that Friday, Saturday, again, that you'll have three of them, but it's not, you know, weekend and weekend out. How do you, how do you look at that? So we've been talking about it as coaches for the past couple of years and looking at different models and, and, um, in terms of scheduling. And I'm glad we still have a couple to be honest with you, but mm -hmm. I, I do, I, I am looking forward to it and seeing what it's like. We have talked about it as a staff. Um, and I think it's really important for developing players. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. When you play Friday, Saturday, think about the young talented players in your program. It, yep. It's hard to get them the work they need during yeah. the week. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're going, you think about it three days. Um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and even Thursday, because it's an incredibly light day, that's four days with not a lot of reps for those guys. Um, so now you, we've been, that's one of our challenges, right? We have a large roster, as a lot of Ivies do this year because of COVID. How are we developing the entire roster holistically, not just as players, but holistically? And I think this allows us more time to do that. Indeed, indeed. Well, Coach, we, uh, we're grateful to have you on our pod and, and, and be our first guest before we let you go. I just, as you look at your team, you know, moving forward, whether it's on or off the court or maybe, you know, trends in the league and what you see um, throughout the conference, what would you, what would you like to see? What do you imagine and hope for with your squad or for Ivy league basketball moving forward? I think, you know, a couple answers to that but I think the one that the big vision and I, I think it's shared by by many in the in the conference I think the league's competitive enough and talented enough and and the coaches do such a great job can we get 
can we become a league that ever gets more than one bid? You know, I think that um, it's very hard to do that. And what is going to be the direction of the NCAA? You know, there's a lot of things changing in the NCAA. And how is that, how is that going to affect our league? I think that's, that's one that we always have to keep our eyes on as a league. Um, I think that's incredibly important. The second thing I would say that I'm pretty passionate about, and, and I know a lot of coaches in our league are, um, in the Ivy League, our third assistant, we're not allowed to pay our third assistant coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that is something that has to change, and we have to allow um, our athletic departments to fund that third spot because we have incredibly talented young men um, that are, are working and not you know, getting an income. From, from the school. Um, and I think it'll allow for, um, you know, to keep giving more opportunities to, to more coaches. So I would love to see the league uh, change that sometime in the near future. And coach, that's not necessarily a, a financial issue. I mean, the last time I checked the, the Ivy league is, is pretty well endowed <laughs> across the <laughs> league. So that it, I'm, I'm understanding that correctly, right? Correct. Correct. I think it's a, it's just a policy and I'm not sure. I know it's been there forever, um, but I, I, I feel strongly it's a policy that needs to change. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll hope for that. And we'll keep our fingers crossed uh, for you guys to continue your form. You, you came off that Georgetown win with, uh, you know, over 40-point win um, against Northern Vermont, and you get this break, and then you're back up into uh, playing really good basketball. Coach, as our uh, team of the week, we really appreciate uh, you coming on here and representing Dartmouth and the league so well. And uh, thanks a ton for your time. This is great. Sydney and Lawrence, thanks so much. The way it used to be when we would uh, be up in the office before yeah, practice. There you go. Yep. Yep. Right. No, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And, and, and then those conversations, those types of conversations continued from afar as I was up in Connecticut and you're in Jersey or I'm here and, and you're there. Um, or, so, yeah, I, no. or when I would just show up to, uh, <laughs> to the arena, there you go. <laughs> no questions asked. Um, and you would, you, just, and, just and you would do it enough times <laughs> that then people just be like, Oh, that's, the, that's just Lawrence. Let him in. <laughs> that's the, that's that guy. They thought you were on staff at just... Fairfield. <laughs> <laughs> they thought you were on staff. Yeah. 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 No, that's, uh, so... that's it. That's it. And I would say this, yeah. I would just say this, Boogie, is that, um, you know, neither one of us have got it, whatever that is in terms of the, the, the podcast thing, but I know that we bring it. This is what's weird, but we bring value and insight to the space um, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but we, we, we know the league, we know the coaches, we know the players, we know the trends. And so if it's not, um, packaged perfectly in terms of podcast style, I know it's content worth listening to and, uh, at a very minimum, you know, it's, it's worth our time to, um, connect and, and, and cover these things, but there's some insight and there's some stuff that's going to come out. And then also, we're going to get coaches and, and, and players on here too that that will enhance the conversation and, and hopefully get some feedback from the audience to cover some things that they want to talk about, um, which which I don't think is in that uh, podcast space, no matter how it's delivered and, and glossed up and presented. Well, that said, uh, you get what you pay for. And so uh, that's why, uh, America, this is uh, being published for free. So, <laughs> although we'll, uh, we'll, both apologies and you're welcome at the same time. Right, right. But we'll we'll take your rating, subscribe, you know, and, and give us the thumbs up or, or what have you. So, Lawrence, let's look at how teams in the league are playing in terms of um, style, maybe pace, um, speed of which. And then there's also that hovering topic that's that's tied a bit to, you know, what we we just covered in terms of. Princeton offense where that that style of play is not only being played at Princeton um, but at Cornell um, at Dartmouth that jumps out at me but but Richmond and Air Force and and various teams throughout the country um, and and the pace of uh, you know how quickly those teams are playing but you've done some research and uh, let's chop that up a little bit all right, well, according to teamrankings.com, this is where I'm getting all these numbers, all right? Through right. November 14th, 
right? The pace of play isn't as you might expect. The third-ranked team in the country in terms of pace of play, possessions per game, right? right? It's Harvard, 89.3 possessions a game. Wow, okay. Princeton, 29th, 79.4 possessions a game. Right. Right. And then not too far behind, Cornell, 78.6. And I know this is not an Ivy League team. Um, it's a Patriot League team. Uh, but uh, uh, in terms of uh, style of play, uh, in the past, uh, Mike Brennan and the American University Eagles, right? Um, right. Very much um, rooted in the Princeton tradition, the methodology. 53rd, 78 possessions a game. Right, right. They got and, a good uh, win against... Uh... William and Mary, uh, CAA team, just a few days ago, and then um, played Georgetown pretty well the other day uh, with the Eagles. So they're they're off to a, a solid start. My my first reaction is no matter what you say, if you're coaching a Princeton offense style of of of, of play, um, you are are not believed <laughs> that you're playing fast. Um, regardless as to the numbers um, that you, you brought up. That's, that's my humble opinion, and, and it just needs to be said. Um, so I know we've bounced that around, but, you know, why is that? Um, because the numbers, not only my eyes don't lie, but the numbers don't seem to lie, and, and those guys are getting up and down, and they're well-rooted in, in Princeton offense style of play. Well, to your point, and for some perspective, right, so – our last year together at Princeton, uh, you were the head coach for the uh, the 2010-2011 team that went to the NCAA tournament. And throughout that year, uh, and I think this was uh, written about in the media, right? Uh, that year's Princeton team was playing at a faster pace, right? right. Um, it was probably not a good time to bring up the Duke game. Um, <laughs> but, that, was, that was rough. But uh, it was worth it. It was important. Yeah, no. It, it, well, it was mean... part of our development as a team. No doubt. How good was Carl yeah, Singer, also, by the uh, way? He was yeah. incredible. Yeah, I, I, mean, I still, I, mean, I still remember he he <laughs> dove into the crowd after a loose ball in the baseline, yeah. disappeared into into the sea of people, and the next thing you saw was his two hands holding up a basketball. It's unbelievable! <laughs> unbelievable. Like the uh, like the baby lion. It was it was something else. So, I mean, that was uh, it. Keep finish your point, but I I, I want to touch on Duke in in, in that game yeah. in terms of development. But keep going. Well, uh, well, you know, Kyrie Irving had a pretty good game too. Um, yeah, he didn't play that many games his year but, at Duke, but somehow, but, uh, some way, he, he was healthy enough for the Tigers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Gave it to us. Gave it to us. Uh, well, to your to your point, uh, in that year, yeah. according to TeamRankings dot com, uh, yeah. Princeton played uh, sixty six point one possessions a game. Right, and that was with the thirty five second shot clock. So a little bit uh, different perspective. Uh, Definitely, from today's 30-second yeah. shot clock. But uh, if you scale scale our possessions uh, for that year by 7 over 6, so a little over uh, little over 1, uh, probably about, multiply by 1.16, math off the top of my head, probably not a good idea. But uh, if, you, if you scale it that way, right. All right, our possessions, 77.12 uh, possessions a game. Right. So that still puts us behind this year's Princeton team. And behind this year's Cornell team, right, right? and pretty far behind uh, the Harvard team uh, right. at eighty nine point three, right, right. So everything's faster. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, and this, and this, I, I think that that's been embraced, uh, obviously, um, and and it, the, the numbers reflect it. I mean, if if you're playing, um, walk it up. Um, I mean, t- t- to be honest, you're, you're, you're dating yourself a, a little bit and, you know, whether it's the reset, um, think about now with the reset. And I think this is, uh, not only the 35 to 30, but think about an offensive rebound now, Boogie, where, um, it's the, the clock is reset to 20, um, instead of back when we were playing, it would be a full 35 second, uh, reset. So I think that that's impacting the game. And then obviously uh, there's three point shooting at all positions now, you know, positionless basketball, pass, dribble, shoot. Um, that's something that uh, Princeton offense has adopted for years, obviously, but um, now all these other teams are playing that way. And so if you're not there, uh, you're, you're being left 
behind. Let me, before I forget, I want to talk about that Duke game, and I don't in any way want to uh, get sentimental about getting our asses kicked, um, which is basically what happened uh, against uh, Duke when we brought a, a very good Princeton team there. But I will say in terms of the development, um, uh, Coach K has his uh, his his uh, fans and uh, people who love him, and then he has his critics, and you know I don't know who they are, but consider me a, a fan in this regard, um, and um, this is connected to the development of our team uh, that season. They blew us out, and they kept playing until um, one to two minutes left in the game with their starters, and they would have tried to beat us by a hundred if they could have, because they were playing to the standard that they set for themselves. And that was something that we always had ingrained in us, uh, Lawrence, by Coach Carrillo as players. And we knew the standard that existed at Princeton and, and the connection we had with the alums. And then I was passing that along to my guys. And, and we, were, we were coming along with that. But then sometimes you need, you know, a kick or you need a jar, or you need a catalyst. And that game took it to a whole nother level of like, as I talked to the guys in the locker room, they would have beat us by a hundred if they could have. And that is the standard that we need to bring ourselves to where, you know, we are trying to run through people and we'll just take care of what we expect to bring to the game. And we ain't worried about anybody else and how it's viewed. And I think that our, our players and we, you know, we had, we had our ups and downs and had to figure things out to, to get ultimately that championship. We weren't perfect, but I thought that that was huge in terms of our development um, and our maturation as, as a team. And so even in a moment like that, where you're humbled, the game is, you know, it humbles you. Um, we did not win, but we learned. And um, I'm, I'm glad that you remember that game as I do, because I, I did think it was fundamental to what, you know, we, we did that year. And I, and I think that teams now uh, in the games that we're playing right now, they're, they're experiencing that, you know, whether it's, again, that Dartmouth beating a Georgetown and a Yale beating uh, um, uh, uh, a UMass. Those lessons are being played out now. If you're watching your team, watch them closely for that. You know, zero in to see how your team is maturing and growing because that's the fun part. And then when you get to March, um, you look back and you go, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we played those games because now we're ready for the moment. Um, does that make sense, Lawrence? Absolutely. Yeah. One more thing about Coach K yeah. uh, from that game um, that speaks to uh, – the type of uh, coach and person he is uh, after winning by 30, right? He comes down the handshake line and right. you know, he comes uh, toward the end and there's, uh, there's a gap between me and the uh, the last person in the line. Um, so he's already on his way to the locker room, but uh, out of the corner of my eyes, he's me, turns around, walks back to the handshake line, shake my hand, and wow. then goes back into the locker room. Wow. So, wow. Uh, Lawrence, you never share that with me. I'm, uh, oh, yeah. I I was abased. You learn a lot about uh, people in those kinds of moments. No, no doubt, no doubt that that actually does give me chills. You never shared that with me, and um, you know, you know, being being kind and 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 just meeting people where they're at that that's just a gift. Um, and, and it's something uh, it's something we should we should all embrace. And uh, that that that's impressive. I'm, 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 I'm glad to hear that. That kind of knocks him up another notch or two in, in my book. Last thing for pace of play though, in, uh, 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. who was the national champion? Top of your head. Trivia question. That was uh, don't I mean, the University of Virginia. Yo, man, I you're not even. Oh. I was gonna say that, <laughs> and you didn't even. You, look, you didn't even give me like three seconds. Yeah, Virginia. Damn, I was at that Final Four. All right, keep going. 
Do you know their uh, their ranking for uh, possessions um, per game? I'm so glad you brought this up. I am so glad. Um, I am going to say that it was in the – I'm going to say – was it in the 300s? Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, um, 353. They were dead last in possessions per game. Uh, 62.6 possessions a game. They won the whole thing. Right. 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 So – Possessions per game for me, yes, informative, uh, but it's not everything. How you defend, I think, matters. And if you're forcing teams to work hard to get shots, that's going to lower your possessions per game. Right? But that means like you're doing your job on defense. Right, right. No, I, I, you know, you, you, you crushed it. I mean, um, Coach Bennett's one of the best in the game. That's not a profound statement. You don't have to come to this podcast to hear that. And, um. That that I know you and I talked about that during that season. I know that we talked about that and just that all the the, the pundits and analysis on pace of play seemed to be quieted as they were just running through people and and humbling story programs like Duke and and, and Carolina and, and winning the whole thing. Um, and and actually, and they were fun to watch. I mean, that was DeAndre Hunter, if I'm not mistaken, the kid. Um, uh, Jerome, do I have that right? Um, the two kids, they're the, the, the shooters. I'm, I'm drawing a complete blank. Um, but the two shooters, uh, Deandre Hunter, they were defending, but they were making shots. Granted it, it, it was deliberate. Um, but they were really impressive. And then everybody wanted to play pack line defense, you know, um, right, now, right. you know, uh, the, the one thing I, I'll put in a plug and this is my own coaching. That's, you know, whether it's um, last year alongside Coach Scott or, you know, in my own time uh, leading uh, Fairfield and, and Princeton. And, you know, I, there, there is a great value in transition, you know. And um, when you grind it out and get stops, you immediately at times have a three-on-two, two-on-one advantage. What you do with that, I do think that matters as well. So I, I would match your defense, and I'm a defensive guy. I would match that defensive uh, uh, focus with what do you try to do in transition when it's um, the easiest time to score, which is when you have a numbers advantage. Um, I mean, that's the, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I have figured that out that if I have three and you have two uh, continually, um, you know, I, I, I think my ability to score is, is, is enhanced. Um, but that's something that we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to chop up that uh, a lot more as we go through the season as well. We're at the segment in the Ivy League Hoops Hour where we would normally cover fan and email interaction, comments, questions. Um, we are hopeful. Uh, we're going to keep our fingers crossed that you weigh in and connect with us. And if not, we'll just make some stuff up. Um, but for now, um, being that it's our first podcast, uh, we don't have any of that right now. So we'll we'll look for episode two, three, four um, and have you join us on this ride and uh, try to bring up some topics that you bring in. And uh, I will also restate that we also want to hear in terms of uh, teams, men's and women's athletic teams throughout the league that you would love to get a nod for uh, a heads up um, or recognition, I should say. Um, it's a good plug for me right now. I've, I've seen uh, the Yale women's basketball team play a couple of times um, so far. They got a nice win against Sacred Heart uh, the other night, and um, they've got some good players. They got a point guard, uh, Jenna Clark uh, Lawrence uh, out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, and she gets to the rim. Uh, she's a gutty kid. She'll, she'll hit step back threes. Um, and she, she just drives a bus for that team. And um, I know that um, Princeton women are ranked uh, one of the best uh, women's basketball, one of the best teams in the country. Um, they're absolutely down, uh, dominant. And, uh, you know, that, that might be a good game in terms of Yale and Princeton. So we'll see how that goes. The Tigers are obviously uh, uh, really, really good, but it was fun to see Yale play in person. And uh, Jenna Clark's a, a player that, that stuck out to me. Um, so those are the types of things that we'd love to um, uh, recognize and uh, would lean on your help or just your interaction. Um, if there's anybody 
that you think that we should cover. We're also going to have um, a non Ivy League nod of the week. You know, Ivy League basketball is wonderful as are the other sports going on in the league. But, um, you know, it's it's not we don't want you know, this isn't going on uh, in a bubble. There's a tremendous amount of basketball going on across the country. And like I said, I'm a coach. I'm watching all kinds of games. And so um, I want to tip my hat to, to UMass. Uh, I have a buddy of mine, Tyson Wheeler, uh, worked with me all my years at Fairfield, one of the best coaches in the game. And I know coaches get all, you know, jazzed up about their guys. Uh, Tyson Wheeler uh, ought to be a head coach. Um, he can easily coach in the pros in the NBA. He's got a, an outstanding way to connect with people, Lawrence, tell them the truth, help them with their game. He sees, which is something uh, we Princeton basketball guys greatly value. He sees and understands, um, and, he, and he could hoop himself. Well, he's at UMass as an assistant coach, Lawrence, and they got humbled the other day when they went to Yale. I went to see him in person and they got beat bad. James Jones had his guys um, rolling. Matt, Matthew Cotton was really good. Uh, the kid Swain, I think preseason player of the year, and he, he was really good. But Yale's got a good team, and they, they beat UMass very well. UMass then came home three days later and played Penn State, and they beat them by over 25. So for me, I, I just think that that's a great response from the coaching staff, from the players from UMass. It's an athletic tent. Um, a team that really wants to um, make some progress there under Coach McCall. And I thought that was a good uh, statement win for them to beat uh, a team from the Big Ten on their home floor, especially after coming off a, a tough uh, game against Yale. So that's uh, my non-Ivy League nod of the week. Uh, how about you, Lawrence? I think my nod has to go to the Indiana Hoosiers. A great win against St. John's. A couple of uh, takeaways for me. First of all, Mike Woodson back in a suit. Uh, I respect that. I'll be back in the suit on the sideline. Um, for coaches, you don't have to wear a suit, right? But I, I, I don't wear a suit for everybody else. I wear a suit for me, right? So it's good to see somebody else back in a suit and tie. Uh, All right. You the other uh, thing I picked up during words. that game. We're going to have some words about that, but um, keep going. <laughs> keep going. The other thing I picked up during that game, number one, Rob Finnessy. The rebound goes out to the corner. Uh, mm-hmm. He's under the rim. So he has no chance to get the rebound, but right. he still hit a guy, right? And that's what it takes. <laughs> right? That's 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 why he's good. That's the Big Ten, baby. Right? That's and the Big Ten. The, the last thing is uh, we have to give a shout-out to Armand Hill. Of course we do. Of course we do. So Armand Hill was a, uh, a dynamite player at Princeton. Uh, he was a number nine overall pick uh, in the NBA draft. He came out early. Um, he was the number one pick of the Atlanta Hawks and had a good career in the pros, uh, was one of Coach Carrillo's best players ever, uh, then went into coaching, um, coached at Columbia, coached at Princeton, was my assistant coach for two years, and uh, a huge impact on me and my life and, and all the guys on the team. I mean, we, we just adore Coach Hill, uh, Armand. Um, he then went on uh, to coach in the pros. He's, he's tight with Doc Rivers, that whole Atlanta Hawks thing and won a championship with the big three and with the Boston Celtics, and then was out uh, with the Clippers with, with Doc Rivers. And then he's tight with Mike Woodson, again, that whole Atlanta Hawks thing. So Armand Hill's out there in Indiana, right, Lawrence? That's right. Um, he's on his bench and uh, is helping him with uh, player development and uh, strategy and has spent some time with Coach Hill this summer uh, doing some three-on-three uh, training with uh, USA Basketball, and um, you know the thing about him is uh, he knows is is he knows more than anybody else that's talking on these two microphones put together, um, and a whole lot of other people. But he doesn't lead with that. He's a humble, uh, humble brother who's just um, and he's been around. Uh, he knows the game. He knows the parks. Uh, he knows how to conduct himself, and he knows how players think, and he's able to communicate that with them um but but he is dynamite in himself but he'll never lead with that you know that'll be the last thing you know about him because he's just a a genuine person so um that's a nice that's a nice uh non-ivy league nod lawrence uh i think it's time to close it out i really want to keep talking um but we want to keep our listeners and, and captivate their attention having them join us 
like I said, almost weekly, this is the Ivy League Hoops Hour, uh, where we're going to cover all things men's basketball in the ancient eight. We hope that you subscribe uh, again in whatever way that you uh, obtain your podcast uh, content um, and give us uh, I keep saying five-star rating. I have no idea. I got to do my research if that's what, what the, the highest rating we can possibly get. And be sure to keep an eye out for upcoming games this week. We've got Penn playing in the Myrtle Beach Invitational and Brown playing in the Paradise Jam. And also send us um, your emails, um, uh, you know, DM us, tweet us, whatever it is. Um, we would love to build up this community that's rallying around Ivy League men's basketball and have us all talking and, and arguing and sharing content and also, again, spotlighting other teams that are doing great things throughout the league. Um, Ivy League Hoops Hour at gmail.com is where you can contact us. Uh, I'm your co-host, Coach Sidney Johnson, uh, with my buddy here, Lawrence Schuler, and we appreciate you joining us. Take care. Now you go home.